morning. 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 Go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. Tell you what, I love that song adopted. It's become one of my favorite songs that we sing. We've been singing it for years now, I think. And it's a great celebration of one of the sweetest parts of the gospel. I mean, God could have saved us and made us his servants like the angels for all of eternity. That would have been enough. But he goes well beyond that and makes us his children. We share an inheritance with Christ because of that. And it is a beautiful thing for us to contemplate and to celebrate together. Well, another celebration that we, uh, we often really enjoy is the celebration of uh, a birth of a child, right? And uh, I think that uh, I recall our, our children just how joyful it was uh, in each one of the situations. And uh, one thing I realized, though, is the one person who's not celebrating is the child. <laughs> I, I can remember uh, Hannah. And so Hannah is about to go to college this year. I can still remember the day that she was born like it was yesterday, though. And uh, Hannah did not want to come into the world. In fact, the doctor had to put a suction cup on her head. And her head literally turned to look like a football. And uh, <laughs> unfortunately, it did come back and round it out. Um, but I, one of the things I didn't realize is how, um, I guess, risky her, her birth was. Um, first child, very ignorant about the whole process. They had called in a NICU unit because she had swallowed some stuff uh, in utero, and, and so they knew when she came out that she probably would not be breathing. And so as soon as she uh, was born, they, they sweep her away from us, and they're still in the same room, but they've got this whole team of people that basically give her a little Heimlich maneuver, right? And immediately, though, what happens? She starts crying, which is what happens in every single case with, with kids. The first thing that comes out of their mouth is a complaint, is a cry, is a grumble, okay? To, to cry is human. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 declares the whole creation is groaning. A couple weeks ago at the funeral for a lady who was a few years younger than myself. The first funeral I've ever had to do for somebody younger than myself. I, I, to be honest, I was not prepared for how sad that was going to be. And just the devastation that the family was, was going through. Death is the ultimate reminder that we live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world filled with cancer and disease and failed marriages, conflict, loneliness, abuse, oppression. And so we don't stop crying after we're born. Our tears continue to flow because whole, our whole creation is groaning. So today, we're going to be talking about an often neglected prayer language called lament. It's a prayer language that God has given to us as a gift to utilize to help us navigate through a broken world. We're going to see in this, in this passage today that the Israelites use this prayer language. And I want us to wrestle with what it is and exactly how does it work. Why should we lament and, and how should we lament? We've been walking through this book of Exodus for a little while now. We've come to the end of chapter 2. We're only going to cover three verses today, but they're really important 
three verses because they act as kind of a transition between Moses sharing with us. Moses is the author of Exodus. He's in the first part of Exodus, he's sharing with us this introduction. He's creating this background story, telling us about where the Israelites are right now in Egypt and slavery. Talk about how he was raised in the palace and and uh, one day he realized that these Israelites were getting oppressed and so he ends up killing an Egyptian which gets him in trouble so he runs away and he's been in Midian now for the last 40 years hiding and hiding as a sojourner. But God's also been preparing him for that. So this these verses that we're taking a look at today at the end of chapter 2 really serve as a transition. And so we move from the introduction of Exodus now to, okay, this is the story of God delivering his people. And up until this point, God has barely been mentioned in Exodus. In fact, the only other time that God has been mentioned before the passage that we're going to take a look at today is at the very beginning of the story of the, the midwives, who, because they feared God, they were blessed by him. And so we've hardly seen God mentioned until today. Now, from here on out, though, God is going to take center stage. And next week, we're going to see him come in the, in the burning bush. Today's passage is really the spark that lit that bush. So let's pray, and we're going to dive into this. <coughs> today, would you remind us of who you are, of your goodness, your faithfulness, of your commitment to keep your promises, would you remind us of how much you love us and your willingness to give us huge, make huge sacrifices so that we would be with you? Remind us of your willingness to listen to us even in our lowest, darkest moments. And, and I pray that you would teach us how to run to you in the midst of our trials, and how to pray with faith. And it would be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We pick up in verse 23, chapter 2. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And so as we walk through this passage today, I want us to really wrestle with three questions, and this will form our outline today. And the three questions as we are learning to lament are, what is lament? Why should we lament? And how do we lament? So let's talk about, talk about what is a lament. I said earlier, to cry is human. Now, a lament is not the same thing as just simply crying, though. Okay? It's different. And lament is actually uniquely Christian. It's not simply complaining or venting our sorrow. Now, lamenting does involve talking to God about our pain and being open and honest. It, it, most definitely involves us crying out in grief and expressing our pain to God. It's a, it's a mourning out loud. But the heart behind biblical lament is not utter despair. It's actually a deep faith in God that leads us to lament. 
Christians lament because they know God's promises and they know his character because they know his word and they believe that God is able to keep his promises. So we lament because we know our world is broken and yet we believe that God is powerful to deliver. We lament because we know that the tomb is empty and that Jesus is alive. And because of that, we know that he conquered death and he promises us eternal life. So anyone can cry, but Christians lament. So here in our passage, Moses starts by saying, during those many days, he begins by emphasizing the length of the Israelites' suffering. And we know from Acts chapter 7 that Moses spent 40 years in Midian. He was 40 years old when he left Egypt to go to Midian, and he spent 40 more years. He, wasn't, he was 80 years old by the time he comes back to Egypt. And so for those 40 years, uh, Abraham is finding a wife, has a child, becomes a shepherd. But in the meantime, the Israelites are still back in Egypt, suffering as slaves. And you don't see this in our English translations, but Moses actually uses four different Hebrew words to describe <coughs> the pain of the Israelites. And you don't have to be a seminary graduate or a Hebrew scholar to learn these things. You can go online. There's websites. There's commentaries. There's software that'll teach you the same things that I'm going to share with you today. But the first word that he uses to describe their pain comes in verse 23. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. Now, groaned can also be translated as to sigh. If you talk to my wife, she will tell you that when I'm stressed, I tend to sigh. And the more I'm stressed, the more often I sigh, and the, the louder the sighs get. But we sigh, and she's laughing now. Um, but we, <laughs> as is Liam. <laughs> we sigh because inside of us, there is this pain, this suffering. We're looking for any just small release or there's small bit of relief. Now, the second word that Moses uses to describe Israel's pain comes in verse 23 also. They cried out for help. And all that, that phrase, cried out for help, is one word in Hebrew. And it's this word that makes me think of like somebody panicking and calling 911. Uh, there's some urgent. In fact, it can also mean like a battle cry. There's some, some urgency that comes with that word. The third word, likewise, uh, is also found in verse 23, and it is the, the phrase, their cry for rescue. Again, that's just one word in the original language, but it can also be translated as scream. Okay, so there's screams for rescue. So you hear the passion, you, you hear the urgency here. And even more so in the fourth word. The fourth word is found in verse 24, and God heard their groaning. Now that's a different word in the original language than what we than what was translated as groaning before. Uh, this word is actually used in Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 24. And listen to what uh, that word says. It says, And I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon and put my sword in his hand, but I will break the arms of Pharaoh, and he will groan before him like a man mortally wounded. Okay, so the word described here is groaning like somebody who's had both of their arms broken, they've been mortally wounded. And they're crying out. So this is the intensity of the pain that, that they're 
they're going through. In fact, Deuteronomy 26, 7, Moses kind of summarizes the Israelite suffering. And he says, then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our father, fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And so, yeah, this, this corrupt king, this pharaoh, who tried to murder uh, Moses twice in his life already, and it was a very corrupt guy. He has died. He's passed on. But the slavery continues. The oppression continues. And for 40 years, the Israelites cried out. Now, Moses doesn't share exactly what they said in their lament, or what that looked like, but there's enough laments in the Bible that we can take a pretty good educated guess of what they might have been saying. In fact, a third of the Psalms are laments. You've got the book of Lamentations, which is one long lament over the destruction of Jerusalem. Even Jesus laments before he goes to the cross. And so if you study the laments of the Bible, you start to see this pattern develop. And I want us to actually turn to, keep your finger in Exodus chapter 2. We'll go back there. But I want you to turn to Psalm 13. I believe I've got this up on the board too. But in Psalm 13, I want us to see this pattern. There's four elements to a lament. And we see them in this psalm. It's a short psalm, only six verses. And in the very first verse, we see the first element of a lament, which is simply turning to God. Verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me. And so the complaint of a lament, they're not just putting out a complaint to the universe. They're directing them to God. Now in Exodus chapter 2, Moses doesn't actually say that their cries are specifically directed towards God, but he definitely implies it. And if you go to the summary that we read earlier in Deuteronomy 26, verse 7, he, he definitely says that, okay, their prayers were directed towards God. Okay, so that's element number one. Element number two is the lament involves bringing your complaint before God. Again, verse one, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel of my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the days? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So biblical lament is us pouring out our pain to God, being real, being raw, with God, knowing that he can take it, okay? He's not surprised by our pain. And notice it's okay to question God as we lament. Often we think we can't do that, but you see over and over in the Psalms, David questions God. Often, this is what lament is. It's knowing the promises of God and feeling like there's a difference between the promises of God and our own perceived experiences. And so we cry out, how long, O Lord? Why, O Lord? And that's okay. But notice the psalmist doesn't stop with questioning God. He doesn't stay there. Lament doesn't allow us to simply bathe in our pain to the point of utter despair. Lament remembers that there is a God who is real and able to keep his promises. So the third element of a lament is to ask boldly for help. To ask boldly for help. Look at verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Lay up my eyes, lest I sleep with the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. And so this lament, it requires a bold faith and a hope that leads us to trust in God's promises as we 
ask for help. And he goes on to, to say, uh, he goes on to choose to trust God. And then that's the fourth element, okay? That's the final element that we see in a lament, verse five. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And so this is where laments lead us. They lead us into a deeper trust. They lead us to renew our confidence in God. Here, David is so confident that God will save him that he puts it in the past tense like it's already happened. And who knows, maybe David is recalling previous times where God has been faithful to him and has already saved him. We see in other Psalms that this doesn't always come easy to us. In fact, in other Psalms, David has to like fight with his own soul to get to this point, to, to believe and to trust God. Uh, Psalm 43, 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. So this doesn't always come easily to us. We've got to fight to have this kind of faith and this kind of trust. So sometimes we've got to, we've got to talk to our own soul. Remind ourselves of the gospel. Lament is believing in the promises of God so that even if I die at the hand of my enemies, I know that death is not the end. I think that was David's mentality. He says, no matter what happens, even if they end up killing me, I know that you're going to deal with me bountifully. And so again, lament is crying out to God for help because you believe he can and he will keep his promises. And so it involves these four elements, turning to God, with your complaints, being honest with them, being raw, involves a, a bold request, and then finally choosing to trust him. Often in the laments, you will see a confession of sin in there. Not always, but often you'll see a confession of sin in there also. Now, I want to look back at our text in Exodus 2. So turn back to Exodus 2, and I want you to see the, the answer to the second question that we're going to wrestle with. Why should we lament? Because in this passage, we see four adjectives describing God. In fact, if you're somebody who likes to underline the Bible, I want to you to underline the four places you see God's name in this passage. And look at the, the, the words right after. Because you've got these four descriptives of God. You, you see that God hears, God remembers, God sees, and God knows. This is why we should run to God with lament. Because God hears us, he remembers, he sees, and he knows. So let's break those down. So God hears, verse 24, and God heard their groaning. Lament makes absolutely no sense unless there's a God who hears us. And we know that God hears us because he's promised to hear us. First John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now notice we can't look at God as like a genie in a bottle, right? That we can just go to him with any kind of wish we want. I wish for a new car. Okay, <laughs> that may not be in his will. So when we go to God and our prayers are lined up with his promises, they become very powerful. And so even if we're, we're praying for God to keep his promises, though, we need to remember that our timing may not be God's timing. Okay, the Israelites here, they prayed for 40 years. And I think this is the focus at the beginning of Psalm 13 that we read. David is lamenting and he's crying out, How long, O Lord? 
And I'm, I'm sure that Israelites were wishing that God would move quicker. But God's timing is not all our time. And in fact, uh, earlier in that, that passage that we, we read uh, before we sang adoption, in Genesis 15, Turn back there. Genesis 15, starting in verse 13, we read this. And so we have this very specific promise that God is giving to Abraham. He said, and this is, I mean, many, many, many years before this would happen. And he says to Abraham, then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. Okay, so he's obviously talking about Egypt there. And they will be servants there. So he even predicts the, that they would go into slavery. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. But listen to what he says next. Excuse me. Hey, Andy, you all have all the way with it. Pick up in verse 15 with me. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And then he says this, and they shall come back here. And so he's talking about, Abraham, you're going to be buried in the promised land, this land of Canaan. Okay? Uh, your offspring, they're going to be in Egypt for 400 years. They're going to become servants. But in verse 16, and they will come back here. They will come back to the promised land in the fourth generation for the in the iniquity of the Amor Amorites is not yet complete. And I don't fully understand what that means, but what it does imply is that God had a plan. And his he had a time, there's timing involved with that plan. And so their pain had a purpose behind it. Okay, God knows the beginning from the end. And so I think that promise is, is really encouraging. Not only does God hear us, though, but God also remembers. Verse 24 again. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And so God remembered the covenant that he made with Abraham back in chapter 12 of Genesis. Right? I, will make to you, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. So you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And then you, all the families of the earth, will be blessed. And so he remembers that promise. The reason that God hears their cry is because he had made a covenant with them. And so the Israelites have these wonderful promises, these, this wonderful covenant. And, and perhaps maybe they, they knew of that conversation between God and Abraham. They knew that 400 years was about past, and they're like, okay, God, how long? When are you going to fulfill your promise? Now, God remembering his covenants, I, I want to make sure you understand that, does not imply that he had forgotten. Okay? It doesn't imply that he was like, oh yeah, God, you had done that, or I forgot that I had said that, okay, now, okay, I'll, I'll take care of it. No, it also doesn't imply that he was somehow disinterested in the Israelites, or, or he was careless towards them. We've seen him working behind the scenes in the first couple chapters, we, we have seen the promise that he gave back in Genesis chapter 15. The fact that he foreknew that these things would happen implies that there was divine purpose. And so when Moses says God remembered his covenant, he's essentially saying this. He's saying God renewed his commitment to fulfill his promises. 
Or you might say like this, God saw it fit to honor the terms of his covenant at this time. That's what he's saying. And so lamenting is a blessing for us, especially if you're in a covenant with God. Because we've got this confidence that God hears our prayers and he remembers his promises. This side of the cross, God's character has not changed. He still remembers his promise. The same God sent Jesus to be our Savior. Why? Because he remembered his covenant. That he had promised to send his Savior. He sent his Son to keep the whole law for his people to live the life that we should have lived through the Lamb that took the punishment for us, sacrificed his own life so that we could spend eternity with him. From the beginning to the end, our salvation depends on God remembering his covenants with us. So we can trust that God is a promise keeper because we have a record going all the way back to Exodus that he is faithful time and time again. Not only does God hear our prayers and remember his covenant, he sees our pain. Look back at verse 25. God saw the people of Israel. Jesus says in the New Testament that there's not a sparrow that falls from the ground that God doesn't know about. In Psalm 56, 8, it says that God has put his tears in a bottle and written them down in his book. When Jesus walked the earth and traveled around and he'd go to different towns, and Matthew says that he saw the crowds and had compassion on them for because they were harassed and helpless. And so he heals them, he teaches them. Him seeing their helplessness kindles his mercy. And notice he doesn't just see their pain. He knows. Again, verse 25, God saw the pain of Israel and God knew. Well, what did he know? He knew their pain intimately. He knew their individual pain. He knew, he knew every single person. He knows how many hairs are on your head. Some of you have more than others. <coughs> but he knows us intimately. He knew their oppression. He knew what those, those parents felt like when they lost their son when Pharaoh made that edict. He knew their physical and mental exhaustion. And he also knew that he prepared to take action. And that he was going to take action. To rescue and redeem his people from the bondage and oppression. And so God doesn't simply Observe our pain from afar. Jesus did not just look down and see our pain from afar. He came to earth. He pursued us. He entered into our pain so that he would know exactly what we're experiencing. And so he can sympathize with us, the author of Hebrews said. And so lament is a gift from God. For those of us who are in a covenant relationship with him, it's a gift that we need to learn to utilize, especially living in a, a broken world. And so I want to really finish off by wrestling, okay, practically. Let's get real practical with this. How do we lament? How can we learn to lament? Well, the first thing I would encourage you to do is read the laments in the Bible. But like I said, the Psalms are filled with laments. Read Lamentations. Read through the laments. Soak them in. 
And then I would encourage you to study the laments and look specifically for those four elements that we talked about. As you read the lament, look for the author turning to God and bringing their complaints and asking boldly for help and then choosing to trust in God. Look for those elements. And then maybe the most important thing you can do this week is your homework. Write your own lament. Get a journal and spend some time pouring out your heart to God. Write your own song. Write your own lament. Be honest with him. And my prayer is that you would be encouraged through that, that process, that, that, that you would be reminded that God's mercy is always more, that his grace is always sufficient. And I really, truly believe that you will find the grace you need in that moment that you need it. Think about this. Scripture often describes our sin and the pain that we go through as slavery. Okay, you think about the major things that we go through or the results of, of pain in our life, like addiction is often described as slavery. Or anxiety is often described as slavery. Or anger, I think, is, is another one that could be described as slavery. Or, or depression is a form of slavery. Perhaps the first step out of slavery is to do the exact same thing as the Israelites did here. Lament. Not using lament as some kind of formula to try to bend God's will to your will. But using lament as a way to navigate the, the hard times. Using lament as a prayer language that really works on our hearts. That reminds us that God is faithful and allows us to be real and honest with God, about our pain. And the good news is that Jesus makes it clear that we will not have to lament forever. Okay? Revelation gives us a picture of Jesus coming back and wiping away our tears. But in the meantime, as we wait for that glorious promise, we ought to learn to lament as we navigate a broken world. Why don't you pray with me and we'll lament together. How long, O oh Lord, until you return and make an end to all of our suffering? How long, O oh Lord, until our hearts stop breaking? How long, O oh Lord, until we no longer need to weep over death, cancer, COVID? How long, O oh Lord, until you put a stop to disease and divorce? depression and addiction. So we ask, Lord, hear our cries. We plead with you, come quickly. Forgive us of our, our trespasses. Forgive us of our unbelief. Help our unbelief. Rescue us. Free us from this broken world. For your namesake, Lord, we pray these things. For your glory, for your kingdom, bring peace to your people. You've proven yourself faithful over and over to us. And so we choose to trust you to keep your promises, that you will return for us, that you will wipe away every tear. You've already given us your son died on the cross in our place. And so we rejoice now. We choose to worship you in the midst of our pain because you have poured out your mercy on us. And so we sing to you praises. We ask that you would bring us to your cross.
we would believe that your grace is enough. In Jesus' name, amen.